I'm Murphy. John Murphy. And I'm Humes. Christian Humes. And I'm Murphy. Ryan Murphy. And you're listening to Watch, Watch World. World. Thank you, everybody. Welcome back to Watch World. We are continuing our Bond extravaganza watching experience. We are down to, I think, the final, final like few. I think we only have about like six or seven left. But this episode, we will be discussing 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. So, and with us all uh, joining us, uh, once again, he was with us on GoldenEye. He'll be joining us for all the Brosnans is from Murph's Movie Trivia, Mr. Ryan Murphy. Thank you very much, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm very thrilled and glad you guys uh, invite me on for this. It's, like I said previously, it's great being able to talk about this. It's, it's, I don't want to say a dead franchise, but it's just a franchise no one, I feel like, loves or talks about it still exists and so it's just fun to share and go over I these mean, great I details would, i would say it's not a dead franchise because it's been going on forever um they won't release the new movie thanks to covid <laughs> so it might be dead i don't know um but as far as like i think it's you know such a cultural mile like touchstone for everything and i think it's going to keep going forever so i don't know maybe <laughs> ryan is sort of like our wade during this brosnan era <laughs> yo jimbo <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'd rather be a chubby peep or WP pepper. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's not like, you. yeah, you're like the Felix, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. Way, you know, wait. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you come in and you, you're, you're the American that's going to help us other Americans with this mission. Um, all right. I'm going to say something really controversial. Oh, let's hear it. So I think I hinted this last week. This is the first movie I saw in theaters. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think this is the best Brosnan movie, better than GoldenEye. I think that GoldenEye has some of the best moments in Bond, but I think that this is actually a better movie overall. Uh, that I, is my hot take. My quick hot take is I was very, very uh, underwhelmed or disappointed by this movie. <sighs> oh, man. So, I mean, I I remember just as time has gone on, I think I've only seen this like a few times, but this is one of my lower to least favorite Bond movies. But there's a few things I appreciate, but in revisiting this, I think it has one of the better storylines. It was okay. ahead of its time is my hot take. Which is interesting because according to the trivia I was reading, they were still writing the script when they began production. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so it's funny that you say that with the story, which I think it is. I do agree. I think it actually is a great story that is oddly relevant and oh, yes. predicted a lot of things. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Christian, I will I, let you. I just wanted to chime in on on the quality of this movie for the other Bonds. As far as Pierce Brodden Bonds, I don't know if I can say this is better than all of the other ones because uh, I just want to go into them with a fresh mind, of course. Um, but I don't. I don't know if it's my favorite. I don't. I think I liked Goldeneye slightly more than this, so, um, mostly because I like the set piece of Goldeneye so much and the story. Yeah, no, I, there are there are elements of Goldeneye that are like some of the best in in the franchise. That like I will, it's iconic. There's some of the best stuff. I just think from a overall package of a movie, mm -hmm. you take all the elements involved, and maybe I'm just like crapping on the music of Goldeneye so much. Like yeah. the, the sound of it is bad. 
Mm-hmm. And to this, you you see, you go from this transition of this European techno music e stuff to actually a classic, almost John Barry score that goes back to what Bond should sound like. It makes the movie seem so much better. <laughs> I think for me, and this was a thing I felt throughout this whole movie, um, because he did sort of have, like, he had a sidekick character, you know, which I, I always love. But for some reason in this movie, it felt, he felt a lot more like a silent protagonist than he did in Goldeneye. And for that reason alone, I think I like Goldeneye slightly more. I also think I love the concept of the villain in this. And I think the main villain, like, I think he was played extraordinary well. I mean, I love that actor. Um, yeah, but I, he was also a little cartoony compared to what we had in Goldeneye. Yeah. I also don't know if Goldeneye is my favorite. Like, I might like this stupid, like, what is it? Uh, World is Not Enough or... Uh, uh, Die another <laughs> yeah, day. Like that one. Uh, well, maybe, and I think also I, was, I, I hinted at this a little bit last week that we discussed Goldeneye, but I didn't really get into it. But I think the fact that the, we grew up with the game and that, I think, sometimes influences... It definitely does. ...how we think about that movie sometimes. Because it's so... the. The, the layers of that are so ingrained in our in our psyche of how it, that it definitely <laughs> does but even then i still i think the overall story of goldeneye i think is slightly more i don't know i mean this one's oddly prescient so it's hard to obviously not look past that and it has um a lot in it that reminds me of the spy who loved me which was a really good roger moore bond yep. um i don't know i i they're they're both really good in different ways. I I I mean I, I, I didn't I would mean to say, like shoot across the bow here of like this is my belief and you guys should. I I, it. Fall, I'm just I, I that. think look I think both sides that you guys have presented have have valid arguments. Well, John's on the far left side. We got yeah. Christian in the middle, and I'm on the far right, and we'll we'll get a wide variety of opinions on this episode. Yeah. I I so I I think what I you you hinted at something there by saying you compared it to. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. And what I liked actually about this movie was it did actually harken back to the Roger Moore era. It definitely does. In a lot of ways, but then made it in a very modern and very creative in terms of action. I think these are some of the most creative action set pieces mm-hmm. I've seen in any of the movies, actually. Any of them. Um, from, you know, the car to the motorcycle, you know, and even like I, I love the final battle stuff on that ship, like the set piece, all the set pieces I think are really cool in this movie. So I think that overall, that's why I, as an altogether piece and package together, I feel like I, I like this movie almost a little bit more than Goldeneye, just from sure. a pure watching standpoint. Yeah, I mean, this movie feels like if you took License to Kill and you took, um, gosh, what, the one I just Spy said, Love Me. Yeah, Spy Who Loved Me. It feels like if you took those two movies and put them together, just with the way the villain works in this and like sort of the a lot of the the set pieces with the factories and the machinery and like with the villain being kind of just like outright out there, like just the the way the plot moves from sort of set piece to set piece is a lot like that. But thematically, it's a lot more like The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, and it's very like instead of being a very personal story of like, oh, this character from Bond's past, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like with the villain, it's just like, Bond's on a mission. This is a, like he's given a mission and he's like got to go take care of this thing. Well, maybe that's maybe that's the thing for it for me is Goldeneye feels like a more unique story, whereas this one I think is one of those Bond movies that feels like it's kind of redoing some of the better ideas 
Bond has had, but like in a much better way than they were presented before. Yeah. One thing I they touched on that I liked was this is a movie that takes place in 48 hours. I think this is probably the shortest time frame of a Bond movie. And so it does have that mission type of feel. Yeah, that's funny, so. It's funny that you mentioned 48 hours because the director of this movie, Roger Spottiswood, which is the funniest name ever, um, he wrote 48 hours with, uh, what's it, uh, Eddie Murphy and... Uh, oh. Uh, so it's kind of, and that movie takes place so over 48 hours. So you're going to say hours, that he worked on 24. Yeah. 24. <laughs> He's like, he no, did this, and then he back. was like, what if we did a show and it had only half the time frame? <laughs> No, yeah, Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours. That's the movie he wrote. So it's like, I guess he, you know, he's got some experience in writing contained, you know, stories that take place over a short period of time. And you got to like take care of this. And I do like that. It actually gives this movie so much pace, like a quick pace to it where he's given the mission and boom, he's like, you have, you know, this much time to deal with it. Everything kind of, nothing feels slow about this movie, which is great. It's really well paced, so and it's just the biggest harp for me of this that I kind of go against is I feel like I don't think Pierce Bronson was bad, but a lot of the characters I felt were just kind of thrown in and I felt felt flat and the action scenes, even though there's a lot of it, it felt less spectacular, I guess. And so it was just kind of like gratuitous thrown in there. And so I guess for me, that's, I don't know, it just didn't carry it, but. We'll get into it. I feel it. like art is subjective, and you're reading into all these action sequences differently than I was because yeah. I thought they were great. Okay, but, <laughs> you know, um, but this, you know, so this movie asks like, the question that nobody was asking, which is, what if Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were evil supervillains? Oh, see, because it feels more like social media. No, but, but so, but at, like, if you look at Elliot Carver and Henry Gupta. Yeah. As together, it's Jobs and Wozniak. Okay. No, you're absolutely right. You're 100% right. <laughs> like one guy's the tech guy, one guy's the salesman. And there's Tim Cook in the background. Yeah, Tim Cook's in the background. <laughs> Tim He's Cook's stamper. the muscle. He's stamper, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so obviously they were, they wanted to do something centered around, obviously Jobs is a big inspiration, but then there's uh, Bill Gates is like kind of inspiration here. Um, Rupert Murdoch is a big inspiration for this as yeah, well. Yeah, the most astounding thing about this movie is that it's pre nine eleven. Also, the fact that like they didn't predict the internet. <laughs> sure, they, yep. they don't talk about the internet once in this movie. Sure, but, but I mean do... the whole like everyone is glued to twenty four hour TV and bad news yeah. is what people like. That is something that everyone talks about being like the world changed after nine eleven because it was like twenty four hour news kicked off and. Like in a big, big way, and then never ended. But yeah, but the, the twenty-four news was, was prior to nine eleven. It's just nine yeah. eleven like supercharged everything. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but the, yeah, so this movie I think does pre- kind of play with and predict a lot of kind of I think stuff that's still relevant today. Yeah, which is great. Um, uh, I I I remember seeing it in theaters and then just thinking that the story felt lackluster at the time because I mean you had, I mean. A handful of people I felt like had cell phones. You see Bond's phone is not what we have today. And then like the internet and news and the newspaper. And it's like, oh, you're going to control the world with this. But fast forward to 20 years later and, you know, it's well, yeah. a very real possibility. If Elliot Carver had survived, his empire would have been crumbled by now because the internet would have just sunk him because he had no you know, investment in internet 
based oh, yeah. uh, pro- <laughs> divisions. He was like, I want news. I want magazines. I want radio. <laughs> I want 24 coverage. Uh, he yeah. would have got, he, he got that 100-year private deal with China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... I, I do like how that's that's the ultimate play. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Um, you know, and it's also, like I think, pretty early for kind of predicted the boom of China. Yeah. As yeah. being this you know, major powerhouse, which is, I think, great as well. Um, yeah, I guess we can kind of just dive into it because, um, you know, I think as we think things come up, we'll sort of we'll talk about them because there's there's a lot of unpack here. Um, the beginning of this movie, it opens on a uh terrorist arms bazaar that uh it's a little ridiculous this opening but <laughs> you know i i i think overall it's you know the stakes are heightened everyone's talking super tense at each other up at the mi6 war room but, which i know, loved i love the war room like that yeah. made it seem so much more like of a a real structure mi6 and it made yeah. M seem so much more emotionally invested in Bond. All of the war room stuff with M was great. Yes. For for as little she's given in this movie, she kills it every time. Mm-hmm. Yes. For all her stuff. Like, she, this is probably the least amount she's been in any movie, I think, overall. But, like, all her stuff, it's like, you ju- she just nails it out of the park. Um, and then, this is the first time they actually... So, Robinson has always been a character that, like, is in the background of stuff. But usually he's, like, a stuffy old white guy. And this is the first time they've, they update him uh, with this uh, actor, Colin Salmon. And so they kind of finally update him with, I like this actor who plays Robinson. Because it's just, yep. you know, just an interesting voice, interesting take. So, I, 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 and with this war room, it gives that dynamic of what Bond is hearing in his head. Or it's not just a cold open with just Bond out at the arms dealer. It just, it builds that world better. So I, I like that. And with this action scene, I like that they're like... How are we going to start this cold open? Big action scene, big vehicles. And we got the plane and blowing up heavy artillery. And then I, I thought it delivered as a great cold open. Yeah. And, they, and you know, it's they were just like, oh, we're just going to blow it all up. And so they launched the cruise missile. And then they're like, oh, no, there's nuclear bombs there. And so Bond's got to fly them out on the plane. I think it, it, overall it's a great action set piece. Um, and visually and great, you know, of course, in the internet day you don't need to have an actual physical arms bazaar you know i don't know exactly why they were all meeting in one place <laughs> with all this like explosives all around them <laughs> you know i uh what do you think about when he how he gets out of the scene and he flies the jet he's getting choked and then uses the ejector seat uh to shoot it up into the other plane it's it cool <laughs> I, <laughs> right it was cool yeah. i thought it was great i i thought uh because I forgot about that scene. And to watch it, and I was like, oh my God, that'd be such a horrible way to die. But it's like, well, he probably just broke his neck going out. But it's still pretty cool. Yeah, he probably was dead upon impact and they didn't have to worry about explosion. But, you know. <laughs> um, but, and then he has all, I, the thing I think the weakest part about Brosnan is that they give him way too many like one liners that. Y- yes. And I think that he isn't quite the type of actor that is like a quippy actor. It, mm-hmm. And this this was part of my silent protagonist complaint was a lot of his speech was like he's not saying anything during these times, and then when he does, it's like a one liner. So backseat driver, yep, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great though. Uh, um, so then we get to the main title sequence. Oh wait, hold on. One oh, thing, 
that oh that's okay just one little other thing that i really liked about this scene was uh you guys previously have talked about bond being reinvented over the years and i think the first time we saw bond he's got a fat cigarette lit up and mm-hmm. when we see bond in this he tries lighting it and punches the guy saying filthy habit and it's that's just a small way of them reinventing bond for the modern age and i it's, thought it was cool in, in this movie bond uses that trick twice he uses the i'm gonna light a cigarette for somebody twice and punches oh them. yeah later when he's helping out uh way way lynn uh outside the plane the one guy's waiting and he's like tries to light the cigarette for him it's like oh that's i guess bond's go-to move here <laughs> um <laughs> it's a good move well, and it's funny because at the time it was 97 this is when like the tobacco companies were really starting to yeah you know get the heat on them yeah. um so it's kind of funny that we you know bond was a regular smoking character usually through all in books and movies and then now it's like oh he's like anti-smoking mm-hmm. which also like you'd think you your top spy you'd want to be physically fit as well and not yeah. be a smoker <laughs> like it has nothing Nowadays, to do yes, yeah. with like it being taboo or anything it just seems ridiculous yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you would think in a modern day, but probably back in the day when they're like, well, you're probably spending a lot of time in smoky clubs and mm-hmm. interacting with other people and smoking. And you don't want to be the one weirdo that's like, sorry, I, I don't smoke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep my physical form in check. Um, but yeah, so main title sequence song done by some by Sheryl Crow. I love the opening of the song with like the kind of descending stringsy thing and like it's like a slow spy type of song it's like kind of a hidden gem for me a little bit i also like how strongly unlike goldeneye as ryan had brought up just the main theme started when the movie began too the music is better in this movie all throughout yeah i think this is the first time david arnold composed and he's done basically all the movies since then so that's why he kind of brought back this big brassy john barry s score to everything and if you notice i don't know if you guys stayed and watched the credit so the credit song that's done by katie lang it's called surrender that was the original version original type main title song they were using ah. and that's why david Arnold uses it as the score throughout all like the movie and then they last for whatever reason switched it up ah. went with cheryl crow because i guess she was a hotter name yeah, at the time <laughs> i'm glad that you pointed out who it was i didn't look it up and i was listening and i'm like who is this voice i i didn't catch the end but that's interesting i'll try to have to give that a listen what it's i like ba- it's a banner song it's like up there with goldfinger like as far as shirley bassey type of mm. like oh big okay. grassy it's pretty cool I, I i like that song a lot what i liked the the theme that i was getting from the song that i liked was how it does this shows over the girls and then it'd show like what's underneath and then it would show like the real face or a hidden face and so i got this idea of like theme of what's underneath kind of like reading between the lines which we get into with media and things so i liked setup and song and i thought it was good yeah did you know that the original title for this movie was gonna be tomorrow never lies i did not but awful (laughs) no so that was the original title for it but then on a printing typo, it came out Tomorrow Never Dies. And they're like, wait, that sounds better. <laughs> and then they and they switched the title of the movie because of a typo. That's great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tomorrow, Love and, Tomorrow Never Lies would have been way too on the nose, I think. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. In this way. Um, 
yeah so got the main title sequence then we have uh we're in the south china sea we have this british naval ship the devonshire it's running into these chinese migs and they're think you know the chinese think the british are in their waters the british think they're in international waters they end up like you know get escalating and then there's a secret stealth ship that is you know manipulating the situation uh i did not and this I is the spy who loved me like correct, direct yeah. influence over yep. this yep definitely except instead of stealing the ship they just sink it so right um i don't know if you it's very quick but there is a very young Gerard Butler on the ship. Really? Oh. No. He's he's the one guy and he's doing his best Scotty impersonation. He's like, there's no power captain or whatever. He like turns to the <laughs> captain and like just has a, like a thick Scottish accent. <laughs> but he I looks super notice. young in it. Yeah. If you yeah, go if you ever yeah. go back and watch, you, you, it's like his one of his first roles in it. Um but anyways, Gerard Butler, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um overall. I think it's a great scene. Uh, we get the introduction of Stamper. I actually really like Stamper as a henchman. Yeah. You know? My biggest drawback with Stamper is uh, he doesn't have a face disfigurement where everyone else has got it. He's like the first the clean disfigurement clean is inside him. It's his heart. <laughs> you know? But I, I like that he's just this like bodybuilding, just model like henchman. Like he, like, He's got the pose and the form down. Like he looks like a video game character at times. Okay. You know, like when he's at when he's at when the shootout at the end with Bond and like in the ship, like he lo- it looks almost like a video game set. And he's like a you know the the one of the final bosses he had to boss. fight. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Like he, he his gun form form is just perfect. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, so I think Stamper obviously takes a lot from inspiration from uh red grant and all these other sort of blonde henchmen over the years but i think he's i think he's just a a solid number two and they find and i do like how they give him a little bit of character depth with dr kaufman and then he so then he has motivation to want to kill bond at the end and not just hang around for no reason you know (laughs) he's like you killed my mentor stuff so the thing i liked about stamper is the main character also obviously is sort of directly influenced from like the Nazi pro- propaganda and the way that they use like influence of media and power um, because they basically tried to get this like Aryan looking sort of creepy dude who's just like this big and it, it sort of projects this like strange message by having him there, which that's why I think it actually worked to do the opposite of having like a weird disfigurement on someone they like instead have like an abnormally like chiseled like specimen of a human which like then also stands out just in the opposite way of like oh look aren't they creepy and like fucked up because they're like they're missing an arm or an eye or they have this big scar or they're burned instead they're like look at this nerd and look at this like giant jacked aryan looking dude next to him (laughs) this nerd who's bossing this guy around that like that makes it also unsettling <laughs> yeah that's true they, i mean they say don't trust someone with a perfect record so it's like he's like a perfect polished uh-huh. thug which makes sense it, do they say he's german i mean because i thought yeah. he was german yeah uh, carver has the joke near the end where he's like he's like damn like german engine like 
the he basically makes a joke about german engineering mm -hmm. in okay. regards to stamper and how like you can't trust it because they'll always fuck up or something right um, when he can't kill bond basically so yeah so he 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 know he understands what he's doing a little bit uh carver um yeah uh you know they steal the nukes or the i guess the cruise missiles after the ship sinks um you know and then we have the the scene where uh m is meeting with the secretary of defense and everybody and they're trying to figure out what you know what to do oh. uh well, wait, right before, wait, was that, don't we see Elliot Carver, like, talking to his screens right before that? Oh, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. yeah, we can, we can dive he into Elliot his, Carver He stuff. does his little Dr. Evil speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah okay, because yeah. the one, what I thought was, it's seeing that scene, because it's this beautiful close-up on his eyes, and I just feel like that that's, like, the modern-day, like, content creator, YouTuber, who's, like, creating the perfect thumbnail of, like, yes, yes, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> but, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know i just thought it was modern and so once again like i that's why i love the story is it fits today and it was yeah. just like and, jo and jonathan price is great oh my gosh carver um, oh my gosh the i Sparrow. love that i love so com compared to sean being playing trevelyan who's he's very reserved like he's playing it so tight and so just close yeah. to the chest it's like they go the exact opposite with carver they and do it's just like He's like, I'm big, I'm brassy, I'm maniac. I'm just going to like say, I'm just going to talk like I'm an evil villain. But you kind of have to, right? Because for Trevelyan to work, he needs to be able to sell as the same type of uh, you yeah. know, man that Bond is. Yeah. But then for this guy to sell, he needs to be like an egotistical megalomaniac. He needs to be a narcissist. He needs to be like all eyes on me if he's going to yeah. use media to control the world. Because when he's in that party, he's basically saying like, yeah, I manipulated like the government based on like beef sales or whatever. And yeah. like, he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a morally questionable individual that will do whatever I can to get what I want. I also, <laughs> by the way, think that they based some of his character traits off of like some directors that, like they did not like because he's got like especially like a lot of old school director habits of just being like and then over there and then like the snapping the it's like this really annoying habit some directors will have like when they're in a control room um yeah it's <laughs> it's just a stupid thing it was such a good thing to give him because he it just made him seem like such kind of a schmuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then like he goes through his divisions and it's like Oh, you know, tell the president that if he doesn't sign the the one deal, I'm going to release the photo of him in the cheerleader. And after he signs, I release it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and is like all his like henchmen are just like, oh, good thing, sir. That's yeah. great. It's like you're so smart. Um, my only uh, the only thing I notice that always bothers me when I watch this performance of Jonathan Price is his like left upper teeth are like a little bit lower than the rest of his teeth so like every time he like smiles or does anything i like it looks like he has gum in his teeth and it always annoyed me when watching wait explain this to oh. me so so when when carver is like just talking or yelling or chanting or anything like that it's like his on his left side his like teeth are lower so like they always like show oh, all the gums, time the gum line kind of yeah it's like but you just see the, like, the white of his teeth there all the time and so every time I'm like watching it, like it looks like he has gum in his mouth all the time. 
I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to comment on, but I just noticed it all the time. He's such a great like character actor, even though that's not like entirely what he is, but like when he embodies these like larger than life characters, like he does with Game of Thrones being the High Sparrow, he just transforms into these people. I mean, you texted me, John, and said something about Wade having the best lines. And, like, sure, they're cheesy one-liners. But, like, Carver is, like, the way he speaks throughout the movie is just Carver wildly has, like, the entertaining. Best, like, stuff to work with. I, I was just I was just more in the moment saying, like, with Wade, I was like, oh, he's got some great lines. And the way they portray Americans in this movie is great. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Right. Uh, any other thoughts on Carver before we move on? To- no. Okay. Just the one thing that was disappointing it is we we he's he's the big henchman and he's mm-hmm. saying his speech to the goons and it's just like I think of Thunderball and you got all the yeah. uh, 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 I can't think of his name. <laughs> Thank you. Blofeld. And then, you know, he's got all the guys in the chairs, electrocutes the one guy and like that scene is more, I feel like, memorable versus a bunch of screens. It's like meh. But yeah. I get it. It's media and TVs and it works, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, so then we get to, yeah, what, what MI6's response is going to be. I just wanted to point out how British the, Depart- the, the Minister of Defense guy is when they're like, it's like 17 sailors murdered. Christ. <laughs> it's like, you have 48 hours to investigate. And like, I'm like, man, that guy is so British. <laughs> <laughs> which which is interesting because you have to think about this movie in the context of like the state of the world and this is like one of the most peaceful times on the planet especially for like all the western nations like there were no like truly like active wars during this period um and yep. it's like the cold war scare is gone it's like all of those things are gone so the idea that like carver could come in and like sort of rattle the cages like actually does seem like something that could like threaten people outside of like a decade or two ago when you're constantly under the state of like nuclear warfare yeah no yeah i think it's it's interesting in the post-cold war bond how the you know what they try to purvey as villains now yes you know it's usually ex-spies or moguls or some sort of in, you know some other things and and because you can't necessarily do russians anymore and you can't do you know any, until any now other... and now we're now we're back to the classics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again but it comes full circle but then like once it gets post 9 11 and then the world is at war again you have you, you're able to go back to that like external threat right whereas right now there's this like one period where it everything sort of has to be it's it, it doesn't feel like it's like truly going to be like a country is like the thing they're going after it's it's the remnants of like what came before and now it's like the rise of corporate powers and interests yeah mm-hmm. yeah i agree um i like this scene where they're driving and bond's getting his mission briefing in the car i think mm-hmm. it's a great just new location they you never really see being used <laughs> you know it's like they're and they're drinking in the car, which is also, I think, weird but wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Perks the job. Yeah, I'm just getting beers. smashed in the back seat <laughs> while she's handing over. And then I, lo- I love the reveal of Money Penny, too, how she's in the front seat with her like computer desk and everything. This Money Penny's fine. I love I, her. I, I felt, especially this movie, on it, you stated earlier that like M 
all of her scenes did great in this, and I agree. And I think I feel like Money Penny rode the coattails off of M's like pizzazz and liners, and Penny Money Penny's like, oh, but I got a line too, and like she was just trying to put her foot in. And M's like, I got this. They, I did get a sense that M and Money Penny felt like Bond sisters yes. in this movie. But- yeah, and I think I, I would like to see Money Penny fill that role more. I think M being like the parental figure to Bond always made more sense. Yeah. Like in this one, it does feel a little bit more peer like, mm-hmm. but like typically it feels more like a parental kind of a relationship it, 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 more, with them, which I prefer. Yeah, I'm just speaking in terms of when they're like, oh, you know Paris Carver from your old days. Why don't yes. you interrogate her and then pump her for information? Like they're like oh using his like just sex puns against him. Like mm-hmm. they're almost like teasing him like they would if they yeah. were sisters. Um, yeah. So I did get that kind of sense from from these two, which is like fine and different. But yeah, I could see how people maybe not like that. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? And then I do. I did like that on how she uses that sex quip as essentially against Bond because it's like, well, you bang all these women. Do it for good. Do it. Do it for your mission for once in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you you like to take partake in this while you're on mission, even though we generally do not recommend it. It's like this time, why don't you? Mm-hmm. You know. And he's like, he's like, damn it, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have done it all those times. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So his mission is to go to Hamburg to investigate the signal that they received during the sinking of the Devonshire. That came from one of Carver's studios. So Bond goes to Hamburg. He goes to, uh, when he lands at the airport, he meets Q, the great Desmond Llewellyn, who is dressed in a Avis rental jacket because as one of the sponsors, they paid for the budget of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I loved this uh, scene with Q. Uh, I just like the music of like going through the check sheet and just hit all the tropes of like explosives is like, Oh, definitely. And then just like the trumpets in the back. And it was just great. Yeah. He's like, would you need collision or like total damage insurance? Like possibly it's like, it's like always seems to be the case with you. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but wasn't that even like basically the entire commercial, one of those clips where he just goes, he's like, uh, like damage crash fire and he's just like yes yes certainly <laughs> and just yeah. i'm like i it like maybe i'm wrong and it just feels like it was written like it could be used in a perfect little commercial spot but they may have even just pulled that entire sequence and put it into a commercial because that, it's just like so perfectly bond yeah. now that you mention it it almost i feel like there's an avis commercial of like bond out there I, I i'm gonna look i'm sure up. there was i think they, there is. They, they must have done this in several versions of i also love q in that red coat yeah, mm-hmm. he's great. It's so good. Yep. He just looks like I love Grandpa. Grandpa Q is the best Q. He looks like an usher at a movie theater here. <laughs> it's he does. Yes, he does. Oh, Christian, this follows up to your like thought that Q is more of like Santa Claus as mm-hmm. he's getting older. He's got the red coat on. He's there bringing it gifts. It's perfect. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he he uh, he he is doing that. Um, what do you guys think of the car overall? Uh. I thought the car was cool. I loved the scene, the action scene they do it in. But what I loved more, even more so, is once again, the movie being ahead of its time, is this perfect generational technology gap that it's like, at the time of seeing the movie, it's like, oh, it's funny. Q can't really operate and Bond just whips out. Flash forward 20 years, 
the older generation just doesn't get technology and you got the youngins teaching them. It's like so perfect. Yeah. I think also I, I loved the gadgets on this car. This feels like the first Bond car in a long time that really feels tricked out. And it's sort of, I feel like this lays the groundwork for all future Bond cars just with like when they're slamming it with the sledgehammers and also the like electrified defense system, like that stuff is so good. And we got no, all that stuff. It's kind of funny because we got no, because of the prototype BMW in the previous movie, we got no bond car. Basically Mm -hmm. we just drove it for a hot second and then, then gave it to Wade. So it's like, they almost wanted to make up for that by they're like, okay, we're going to construct a whole action set piece around the car and make sure we use it. And then that just feels like something that's happened almost every time at this point, which is great. And they should continue to do that. Yeah. But so, yeah, the the car is great. I think people criticize it a little bit for it being like a sedan and it's like not like as cool, but I think like it's Germany. It's, it fits the the environment it's in. Yeah. You know, it's more like Uh, a tank. Yeah. I I did love all of its gadgets, but dude, I like in all these Bond movies and like even with this car specifically, did you guys ever like sin think like, what if bon- uh, what if Q just like forgot to add one of these special features like the tow cable gear thing or the rockets? <laughs> it's like Bond is kind of screwed in those situations if he forgot just that one invention on it. Yeah, he kind of it, it is a little he gets super lucky with it, discovering some of the things that he wasn't even explained to what it was mm-hmm. and how he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just turn the hood ornament into a buzzsaw that will perfectly cut the metal wire and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that some of the, yeah, some of the gadgets, sometimes bond just discovers those gadgets and just plays with them and they work out perfectly the way mm-hmm. he wants, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is what it is, you know? Yep. Um, so bond after he gets the car, he goes to this party um, where he meets up with Paris Carver, played by Terry Hatcher. Um, Terry Hatcher, she's okay in this movie. Um, she reminds me a lot of Jill and St. John in Diamonds Are Forever. Just kind of not the greatest actor, but, you know, passable for what it is. Um, but overall, I I just learned this, but so apparently they had to film all of her scenes really quickly because she found out she was pregnant. Right oh. when she got the part, so they're like, "We gotta, fi- you know, we gotta film everything <laughs> right away." Um, and also, the only reason why she did the role was because her husband, her his lifelong dream was to be married to a Bond girl, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only reason why she did it. <laughs> that's so, cool. Good for Terry. But what do you what do you guys think of Paris? Um, I felt similar. Fine, she's there. Um, yeah. I felt like I didn't quite believe the chemistry of the past life her and bond had i felt like in golden eye of how we we showed like other we tapped at like other backstories and plot lines and like this movie kind of grabs it a little more of like okay we're gonna give you a bigger plot line right off of but i i don't know i just didn't really believe and feel into it it's totally. kind of like oh i i guess you yeah had it, it, it just is a little forced um, she just and, feels uncharismatic herself yeah and like I've been watching a lot of Desperate Housewives recently, and it's like she's one of the main characters in that, and she plays like a manic klutz in that, and fits way better in that role than this. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think as much as Bond looks cool when he's at like in nice suits and that like you know really nice locations, 
he doesn't actually seem like the rich stuck up people and so like having him with someone like that just feels weird like he weirdly like comes off as someone who's like like he's like putting on sort of a character when he's doing that stuff yeah i mean yeah it's like he has a very he doesn't feel like elitist when he's not right on set. he just likes to play dress up and go into so that it world. doesn't feel like he'd be like truly ever like into an elitist person like that either like you know yeah, but they were young. They were in college. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> His last words were, I'll be right back. Jimmy Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I love when he's like, uh, when she's like, he'll take a, you know, vodka martini or a shake and not stir. Blah, blah, blah. And then he, and then it's like, well, and she'll be having tequila straight. straight and it was like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been, they must have met at a dive bar back in college. It's yeah. a crazy night. I can't. Like, no, of, I just can't picture Bond at college. Yeah, I guess he just instantly was in secret agent. He just didn't. Yeah, go you, you always up. know him as a secret agent. So it's like, what was he like as like a teenager? Or yeah, you know, like he know. went through the military. You know. Yeah. So like, I just pictured going to the military, and then they. I think he was just like a moody kid. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, because he's an orphan, a, right? Yeah. He's yeah. An orphan. And he seems to hate everybody, so. Except M. He Except doesn't M. hate M. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a close relationship. But, yeah, so he, he just is like, I'm James Bond, a banker. And <laughs> tries banker. to, <laughs> tries to like, I guess, he, he comes in so hard on Carver. He does. He, I'm like, yeah. I don't know what he's what his plan was here, because when he first meets Carver, he's just like, starts using kind of these quips to basically say like hey i know that you did something with the encoder and you're you sent that ship off course and blah 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 blah. and he's like well you seem to not be a banker <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty he's much like, and excuse me now i'm gonna go hit on your wife so. yeah <laughs> yeah he was just laying on real thick and it's like oh good secret cover there bod and yeah it was <laughs> obvious or just awkward i guess yeah but you know i think Maybe in his mind, he's like, I'm dealing with a narcissist and the best way to do it is like hit them hard and quickly and knock them off of their game. Maybe. Yeah. I think he just wanted to mess with him. I think bomb wanted to see how he would react. Yeah. And he reacted by putting bond in a uh, studio room to get the crap beat out of him. <laughs> I did like, there was a, like the first kick they, uh, throw at him and when he's on the ground like it was such a hard kick sound it, i thought bond broke his back on that kick some mm. of those some of these punches and kick sound effects they use in this movie are a little over the top <laughs> especially in this scene there's some punches that are thrown and it's like foo-tum, foo-tum, foo-tum. <laughs> and you're just like whoa you're like jesus so I did like uh, Stamper's silver suit. He like walked into some light. I'm like, oh, God, damn, he looks you... good in this movie. Yeah, Everyone, he, I think a lot, up. most of people's attire in this movie, I think is pretty damn good. Yeah. I don't think there's necessarily anyone's dressed like poorly or anything like that. Like Stamper, definitely. I think he was a model in Germany at the time. And literally he walked into the, they, you know, I think the producers like, uh, I think, unfortunately, you, you saw the, I think at the end, they dedicated this to Cubby Broccoli because he died yes. after GoldenEye. Ah. So, um, you know, a long time ago. So, but that's when his daughter took over and his son-in-law mm-hmm. took over, Michael G. Wilson. So, like, apparently when the the actor, I think his name is Gotts Otto or something, yes. uh, when he uh, 
he just kind of walked in the studio and they're like oh you look imposing like let's just cast <laughs> you as like this guy you know uh, I like, but yeah he definitely has a model feel to him i like to hope he just walked in just didn't say anything he just his presence was like you oh, probably you're stamper you pro- <laughs> probably didn't know any english so he's like <laughs> was his were his lines dubbed by someone else I, it I felt like it. It didn't feel like he was saying them. I don't think, I don't know for certain, but I didn't see any information necessarily whether or not he was. It could just not. be his, like, it could have just been ADR that also was bad, but it doesn't feel like he was the one that was speaking during a lot of scenes. Yeah. I mean, I I would not put it past them to do that. They've done it in the four in the past. Yeah. With lots of actors that they will hire that are European and they you know get somebody else to dub them american but um yeah so bond breaks out of there he uh somehow next to that studio is like a giant power breaker to the whole building so (laughs) he's able to just turn off the whole broadcast um i feel so bad for that woman that's running the show for for just like five seconds she's like i don't know what's happening he's like you're fired get out of here yeah totally different apartment not her fault yeah I, i felt bad for her because she kind of just like then looks around. She's like, well, what do I do? do I you just... also don't want to be fired by this guy because he wouldn't let anyone just go. No. Like, wouldn't I'm sure she fired like signed an NDA. And, oh, yeah. You know, she's probably seen some stuff. Yeah, know, I would think so. I wouldn't think he just fires people. I would think he shoots you. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. And you're gone. Uh, Which is like, why would you ever work for any of these people? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love okay, so Bond's go to move after this is he goes back to his hotel room and just starts doing shots of Smirnoff while he waits for like <laughs> Carver's guys to come get him. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, let me just get drunk. It was my last stand here. It helps with his accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is a throwback to Connery though, because there's in the Connery movies you, he would do some Smirnoff in, in hotel rooms before <laughs> during scenes and stuff. Um during Bond scenes, but Paris shows up. You know, his when you know is the only slow part of the movie with her, like, uh, you know, reconnecting, blah blah blah. They sleep together. Um, she lets him know about the secret lab there. Henry Gupta is on the top of one of his like buildings, and he can get through the hatch for the roof. Um, so this whole next scene in this newspaper building, Bond he he gets into this room, this lab. For some reason, there's a $300 million satellite in this room. <laughs> and I I never questioned this when I, wa- when I saw it as a kid. And now I'm like, okay, why isn't it in the clean room? Like, if it's a $300 million satellite. And A, how do they get it out of this room without breaking it? <laughs> yeah, they shove all these other parts and gasbos and gadgets and satellites. And it's just, like, oh, but we'll just put the $300 million one right here next to everything else. <laughs> yeah. And like Gupta's like, that satellite costs three hundred million dollars. You break it, you bought it. <laughs> You're just like, what? <laughs> was uh, oh was uh, Ricky J. I He's... do like uh, how right afterwards, then Bond opens up the safe and what's it there? Hookers at blow and the like the, the satellite GPS. Yeah, he, he keeps he keeps his cocaine, his heroin. <laughs> He's got his nudie mags, and then he's got the encoder. Yep. <laughs> Everything you need in a safe. <laughs> you know, it's, if, I would think Gupta being like a techno terrorist, all his porn would be on his computer. Yeah. He you wouldn't would... need any any like magazines. 
if no, any... because he's oh. bored by it. He's always on the computer. So, like, in secret, he wants, like, the paper. He wants, like, the <laughs> tactile experience. <laughs> he know? wants the feeling of the page. Also, what was he going to do? Like, set a capture unit up and, like, capture, like, VHS tapes? Like, the internet wasn't around. It was in not, 96, 97. Not, like, video porn. Not really. But, again, this is Henry Gupta. He is, like, supposed to be the guy. Even if he has the internet speed, there's nowhere to download it from, He probably created his own page. This this has got to be prior to, like, American Pie, right? I'm not saying he made a a website. I'm saying they're actually, like, digital files on his computer. No, but where did the digital files come from? Like, the the tape they have later, it's a VHS. He encoded them They don't even have it on a CD. He's like, this tape is going to go out to everyone. I'm like, what? (laughs) It's a VHS tape? You guys don't even have it on, like, you don't have, like, a a stick, like a computer file. You don't have a CD-ROM or a, like, you got it on a VHS. They didn't have it yet, you know? They didn't have that technology. (laughs) They had CD-ROMs. Yeah, but it's easier to use tapes. More visually interesting. This is what, 99? 97. 97? Yeah. Okay. So only like a year after GoldenEye? Uh, uh, two. Yeah, because GoldenEye was 95. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking about the game, I guess, was like 90. Yeah, the game was a year later. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, he that's where he finds the encoder. Then uh, Wei Lin breaks into the lab, too. Um and sets off the alarm. You have this kind of cheeky, them both getting away. You know, Bond is the one that gets all the attention, though, while she uses her little grappling hook and, like, waves goodbye to him. She's awesome. Yeah. I love. I really like Michelle Yeoh. She's great. I-, I like her in this movie. I think they give them enough where it's like, okay, we're two agents on a mission. Let's not, we're not going to bog ourselves down in anything too sappy, you know, because that focus on a mission. And then everything that's tied into anything emotional between them is because of the mission yes. you know of like not leaving each other behind saving one another you know all that stuff is like it all feels natural so i think i would think she's one of my favorite bond girls oh actually yeah. so well i i don't know i just because i felt like that they're kind of cold in the beginning with her like we saw her at the party we see this just quick little introduction again with her and then i felt like they went from like zero to a hundred with like trying to force this romance towards the end. But with your point with like the love romance is like the mission focus. And that makes more sense and a more valid point. But it, I just went from zero to a hundred and I, I don't know. It saved like, Oh, okay. I guess we're going to make this a romance thing to me. But I, that's why I do like about it is that it's, you don't get like necessarily there's a romance. There's almost a rivalry to them. Mm hmm. Um, which I is felt. good, and then it's not really until they get on the motorcycle together. It's like when you kind of like start to feel like actually get a little bit there, and then after that, it's like not. I, I don't even know if it gets to a hundred because they kind of keep it very surface level for the most part. Um, you know, and even just during the mission, it isn't really till the very end. Is like when you kind of like that's when it takes it to a hundred. So right, I mean, because like from after that shower scene from the helicopter she's like don't get any ideas so she's like staying cold and bonds you know doing his charm and then they do her apartment scene and then like bonds kind of laid it on and like give it this look and so that 
but I agree. It just it comes on very strong at the end. Well, it's because it's Bond. He has to like he he he's a, he's a dog, you know. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, he's got to get his. So um, I like that she keeps it at distance for as long as possible. Yeah, which is great. Um, and then I feel like even at the end, I felt like it feels like almost like a one night stand on this cold pile of rubble. <laughs> <laughs> you know that like I think they're both okay with never like never seeing each other again. They're yeah. like this is this is our one thing together and like we both are understanding because we're both agents for opposing countries yep. and stuff um so i i actually i did really like their relationship and their dynamic between each other overall um bond escapes the the newspaper factory he won't he knocks that one guy into the newspaper machine mm-hmm. and it just starts like printing blood onto the, the thing and he's like they'll print anything these days Nice little stripe right in the center. <laughs> Which are like, I don't know if it would do that. <laughs> I don't know either. I mean, some papers would probably get splattered, but I, I'm i not a paper machinist. I'm not savvy in uh, the tech aspect. I just, I just assume there's not a lot of like blades in like those machines. Like it's more just like a lot of ink and rollers, you know? Yeah. yeah. It might get really hot and you might get singed, but like, I don't, and maybe crushed. Well, yeah, but not if like, they pull. If they pull a single, like even just like your finger through the roller, that's enough blood. That's true. <laughs> like that's that's what I assume happened. Is like his foot or his hand or his arm just gets pulled through. It's just like it's like him flattened onto the piece of paper, yeah. just coming out. <laughs> like, Help! Oh. <laughs> like Plato. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he takes the car back to hotel, puts the encoder in the glove compartment, goes to uh, his hotel room. That's where he sees Paris dead. This is when we're introduced to Dr. Kaufman. I love this character. He's oh, so cha. good. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> ah, you're in my yeah. ear. It's too hot. Uh, he, <laughs> He's he, like, he, like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. It, I I think it's... What I like about this character is that, one, it's like he's interesting and funny, but it like helps broaden the world a little bit and expand it. And so it's like, oh, there are like these assassins for hire that like people that are just out here and i like that there's this character that he's like the he's the expert in celebrity death and knows how to just murder people make it seem like suicide (laughs) yeah i agree i think it is this nice like hitman he's serious he's he shows the vhs we it's just i was was like oh my god that's a vhs i haven't seen that in years and it's cutting edge technology and then but but he's they decide they they know he's this short-lived character, so he does this yeah thing. It's just this little kind of humor in it. He's yeah, yeah, a great moment in the movie. Yeah, and I love how Bond gets out of it using a gadget mm-hmm. to get out of the situation, which is great. Um, which is, I, I think, because this is my first Bond that I saw in theaters, at least. Um, I think this is why I'm like so focused, especially in the old ones, on like gadgets and Bond being such a intrinsic thing. That like they really weren't as much in the past. Like they were, but like this movie really levels up the use of gadgets, especially when you have also the Chinese gadgets as well in the movie. It was like the car is like more tricked out than ever. Like all that stuff. It must have just been ingrained from here on for me to just be like Bond gadgets always go yeah. together. No, I, I I can totally get that as well. Where it's you can see why it depends on which movie you almost influence you first sometimes yeah can definitely determine how you view these movies set your expectations Mm -hmm. yeah and 
So I, I do, that's one I think the biggest bonus is in this movie is how much they use gadgets and actually how much Bond uses them like intelligently as opposed to just using them for luck yep. in certain ways. Um, you know, not only just the car and the phone, but like even at the end when he uses the like little timer thing to like release the grenade in the little glass jar thing. It's like he turns into MacGyver at the end, which is great. Yeah. Well, and he uses like the diffusers or the to explode the rocket. Yeah. Like, yeah. like so. Yeah. yeah. And that's more of like a last second thing, but yeah, still, even then, it's like thinking on your feet because he didn't have time to unscrew and take out the guidance system of the missile. Yep. You know. So. Um. Yeah. It's like I think Bond is like he probably his smartest of all like some of the yeah. movies, uh, which is great. Um. Yeah, the we so we get the big you know the big car chase scene. I think obviously we talked about it a little bit. Um, I just love how he's in the backseat of the car driving it. It's mm-hmm. such a great like cut between you know what's going on in the car, and then it's like cut to him just having fun in the back of it. Um, things like the even though it doesn't make sense how the window got smashed from an explosion, but it didn't get smashed from a sledgehammer. I did like how they effectively did use it to <laughs> have the rocket go through then the car. That guy had one job to do, and he biffed it. But uh, yeah, the look on his face when he fucks up—he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, great action scene. Uh, using all the gadgets and just rolling around. Bond's having fun. Uh, yeah, it's great. And and when he's done with it, he's like, "Yeah, screw it. I'll send this off the off the cliff." <laughs> mm-hmm. Returns, Returns it to Avis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Uh, yeah, and then anything other, anything else on the on the car garage stuff from Christian? Anything? No, I I liked all of it. Um, I mean, I was with you with why, like it, the window break here, or not later, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things where you just kind of suspend your disbelief. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, and the only thing that's like really crazy is that. Hood ornament buzzsaw, like how it's yeah. perfect. You know, it's like, yeah, no, you probably could have done without that, but you know, I think it's a, you got to get that, you got to get that BMW logo close up. Yep. Is it me or since License to Kill, are there, it feels like the amount of heavy weaponry in these movies like went way up since oh, yeah. basically License to Kill. Like they, yeah. the weapons that are used by the villains and by Bond just seem better and like it's more clear that they're more dangerous and there's more like rocket launchers and tanks and fighters like just the it's weaponry the, it's the commando vehicles. effect it's like the 80s action movie effect of mm. all the all the guns got bigger in the 80s so then it's like a course in these movies they're gonna be bigger too yeah yep definitely it's turning away from that spy sly feel to big action yeah, blockbuster yeah. Thing. Like going yeah. back to if you watch like the Connery stuff and even the Moors, it's like it's mostly just pistols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the bad guys, their their hideouts, like no one's kitted out, whereas now everyone is. You know, mm-hmm. like B- Bond is literally like going up against armies now. It feels like, which is a commentary in the Cold War, and yeah. how it did nothing but you know stockpile weapons, and so now we're in this world where everyone's got all these high tech, big busting weapons, and now people want to use them. So. Yeah. We need aliens to fight. Yeah, we need a common enemy. Um, yeah, so then he, after uh, he ends that, uh, he goes and visits our good friend Wade. 
which is uh, on the military base. This is the, the third time that Bond has dressed up in a military uniform uh, in one, in the movies because he's visiting an, a military base, a U.S. Mm-hmm. military base. So he's got to dress up. Uh, John yeah. loves Bond in a uniform. God, he's, <laughs> he's great in the uniform. He looks so good in it, too. He, he does clean up. Um, it is nice because you usually see him in his classic tux. So it's nice to see him cleaned up in a different way. Yeah. But when I was seeing this, I guess it, I didn't know if it was because of the forced 48 hours. But like, why is he bringing the like GPS thing to the Americans? I know it like was their guidance system, but it's like, why not tell MI6 or like bring it to them? Because like, isn't that his business or company he works for government? I think obviously they need to work in Wade slash Felix. Yeah. Um, you know, somehow. But in in the movie, I think it's the he doesn't have time to go back to and get approval from my six and like try to test out the encoder on like their system because the, probably the military in this water isn't even going to help them because they're like sort of geared towards, uh, you know, this threat in China kind of yeah. thing. And they're yeah. all going to that. So he's like, well, I'll like ask the Americans because they're kind of standing back out of the situation and then wade just happens to be there because he's like wade what are you doing here <laughs> he's like the world's my office like that's why he has some great lines in this movie <laughs> do you think wade secretly put a tracker on bond and just oh, like yeah. hopes that bond all... lands on the on the same spot he's like oh hey i just happen to be here too yeah he's like the stalker version of felix where he yeah. like is t- constantly tracking where bond is going and so he just shows up where he is <laughs> He's like, oh, hey, we showed up in the same spot. Why, again, did they do Wade and not Felix? I think because they were so keeping to this idea that the movies are continuous. Oh, right. That mm-hmm. it didn't make sense that Felix he got leg. his leg chopped <laughs> yeah, off. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. They're ludicrous. <laughs> it wasn't idea. until, I think, Casino Route did they decide, like, we're kind of doing a soft reboot. You know, so so in this though, that's why it's Wade and not Felix. Um, then we get the Halo jump uh, thing, the scene between Wade, that other like guy, and just the Americans are all crazy in the scene. <laughs> when he's like explaining what the Halo jump is, and he's like, he's like, if you don't, you know, make sure you use your oxygen shank, or you'll die by asphyxiation. And then Wade's like, sounds like my first hot wife. Nope. Very American. <laughs> yeah, and then. <laughs> And then they're all freaked out because it's like, oh, he's landing near Vietnam. And if he gets caught, he's like, he's like, oh, he's got a bunch of American symbols on his clo- on his equipment. He's like, God, we're going to be so pissed. Like, as if at this point in 97, anyone cared that the U.S. Mm-hmm. was in Vietnam. Right. <laughs> it's like such a stereotype of Americans, which is kind of funny to see us, us being stereotyped as, a, you know, constantly freaking out about that stuff. But um. Did he need to do okay? So like, I was confused. The one thing I was confused about the halo jump was if it's a halo jump, you're doing such a high altitude. So when they once they open up the back of that plane, everybody would just get sucked out. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I don't know how those halo jump works. That's but that makes sense. That was my that's one of the assumption is that like the reason why you're jumping so high and that's why you need oxygen is because there's the air is so thin. And mm-hmm. thus, if once the plane opens up, the pressure inside would just get released out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but again, maybe, another suspension disbelief. Maybe I think actually, they depressurized that cabin ahead of time. 
So like before they open the door, they would depressurize it so everything doesn't get sucked out. So it would probably be tough to breathe long term. And they just didn't include that part, I guess. The show weighed like <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she would like, die in like five minutes or five seconds. <laughs> but the Halo jump is cool. I liked the Halo jump a lot. I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um all the other underwater stuff is you know, it's like a interesting change up and it's not the it's not the most interesting stuff, but uh yeah, he runs into Waylin again down there because she's just always one step ahead of him. You know? I just thought it was like awkward force tension of like as they're just magically looking at these missiles, the rocks or boulders start to break and the ship starts to sink. And it's like, oh, no, we got to well, get gotta out of here. You got to make some stakes. You got to add some tension. Right. Yeah. And so I just felt like it was thrown in there. Uh, but um, I think yeah. it was easier than suddenly... Carver's men are just there as divers, you know. True, true. Like that would be the like the other way I would think about them doing it. Like suddenly they have to fight off those people, but then maybe they're just like, okay, we need to get in and out of the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always freaked out though. I remember as a kid seeing that one body that like floats by, and, like freaks him out, and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, because James Bond isn't typically jump scary, and so that's no. like the one of the only scenes in the franchise that only does time it. that does it. Yeah, and like I remember just being a little bit terrified from that <laughs> uh, seeing that. Um, yeah, then they get captured by Stampa, captures them because they're just all hiding. They're just like ducked below that boat on, the, and they just let that one guy talk to him for a bit, and they shoots him with a, <laughs> a you mm -hmm. know dark gun. Oh, that'd be such a bad way to go harpoon just straight through the chest oh i feel like you wouldn't die right away i feel like you would just like be in agony for exactly well where does it go through him oh uh, like straight through like the went... sternum yeah like it would probably he would bleed out from this esophagus and into his stomach and all of this yeah i mean i guess it just depends like if it goes through his spine or if it goes through his heart he may as well basically just be dead instantly. But you're yeah, right. Yeah, the heart I understand. But it didn't seem like it was going through his heart. Yeah, so you're right. It would be like you're just like getting impaled. Like, you know how many times I've seen like those things where like this guy like fell on this like fence or barbed wire and then they had to take him to the hospital and he's just got this like pole through him for like hours, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's the part of the movie you don't see is that guy, he gets fished out of the water and then he gets to go to the hospital for a long time. I feel like Carver would bring him back in the ship just so that he could like yell at him and then kill him. <laughs> it's true, maybe. But yeah, Stampo would kill him over again, shoot him again. Mm -hmm. um, so Bond and Waylin are handcuffed together, and they're taken to the uh, it's a Hanaway headquarters of Carver. Uh, Bond says something incorrect here, um, which he says he sees the big picture. The big portrait of Carver on the side of the building. He's like, "Oh, it seems like someone has the Oedipus complex." And I'm like, "No, that's not what he has, because he's not in love with his mother. It's he has a narcissist complex, right?" Because <laughs> he mentions that, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, "I gotta relook this up, because I don't think that was yeah. it. That looks like a very Princess Bride. It's like I don't think that means what you think <laughs> it means. It is. It's, yeah, it's like for some reason they. I guess they thought that." Him having an Oedipus complex is the correct term, but it's like, no, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unless we were seeing something that's not, sh we were never shown something that Carver is in love with his mother or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that was in yeah. the deleted scenes. It, I had the same thought, and then I just assumed I was wrong as to what Oedipus, I didn't look it up again. 
I just assumed I was wrong. I was like, oh, that must be a different, a different thing that I can't remember the name for. That's weird. How does that make it through? Maybe because I mentioned how they were writing it go like while they were actually starting production, they were still writing things. And maybe it was like ad lit or like it was they I don't know, for whatever reason, they just they put it in there. And then, well, yeah, and I think maybe one guy like you, Christian, thought that it was that. And and then, yeah, no one had not everyone had Google in their pockets to like confirm it. And they just rode with it. No, I mean, like, I thought the same as you, that it was oh, what it is. Okay. But I, then I just assumed, like, well, why would they put that? That doesn't make any sense. I must be wrong. And then I didn't Google to check to see if I was wrong. Turns out you guys did, and you were see, right. See, this is what the world well. was like before the internet, when you could check mm-hmm. this stuff. People would just assume things, and then it would just, that would be it. Mm-hmm. But then again, I guess we don't, they wouldn't have dis- disinformation back then. So, I don't know. Maybe is it better now? Who knows? Um, <laughs> We're all living in a simulation. Yes. Uh, you know, so we get the kind of meeting between showdown between Carver, Stomper, Bond, Waylon. Waylon sees that there's this other guy, General Chan, that was meeting with Carver. Um, you know, we get this is kind of we get a couple of sort of villain monologues throughout the most of the movie. But this one is sort of the general version of, you know, the world has moved past traditional warfare. Uh, war is now, it's information. That is, the, that is the new era of war. And he's like, and I'm the supreme commander with my divisions and stuff. So, um, you know, we have this great line from Carver where, he, where after Bond calls him insane, he's like, you know, the only difference between insanity and genius is measured only by success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I- I love the line. It's my favorite line in the movie. I, <laughs> it is good. Yeah. It's good. It's a little cheesy, but it's good. Yeah. yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's great. But any thoughts on, on this scene before the torture stuff? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is where his character, I think, as much as I, I, I get, you know what it is? I never feared his character. Like, mm-hmm. I believed no. him. I thought he was like, compelling so like he definitely kept me like watching the whole time because he's such a good actor and like the way he delivered the lines he did such a great job of it like he definitely like you know like he's like delivering an evil keynote but he always kind of just felt like a like a weirdo that someone just needed to like slap and be like shut up just like (laughs) yeah but that's like most of these guys are like yeah you know they hide behind their empires and they seem like tough guys but really they're kind of weak and you know you can easily kind of stop around that and i think may i would agree with you that does make him seem a little less threatening and that might hurt your overall viewing of the movie sometimes like overall and you might think like it's not as good or not as good in that way but i i agree with you that of that i just i interpret it more as like that was their intention and yeah and Mm -hmm. i didn't need to be intimidated by him to enjoy necessarily it or not so but so <laughs> I love the stomper when he's like, you know, I was a you know protege of Dr. Kaufman and I'm going to now practice the chakra uh, torture methods on you. <laughs> it's like Dr. Kaufman's uh, record was 52 hours. I'm hoping to break it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So some great lines there. Uh, I mean, I do like it that it does build a little 
psycho craziness into him, which I think helps pay off later at the end when he gives his like crazy mad eyes <laughs> yeah. after he gets stabbed. <laughs> and I just I wish there was more of this like demonic dialogue from him because he's so straight edge that I don't know. I, I wanted that dialogue more in the movie. I think the whole movie, other than Carver, just needed more dialogue. There's just a little too many one-liners. Um, there's not enough just, like, earnest conversation between Bond uh, and, like, anyone, you know? Like, just any of the characters. Like, other than Q. Like, I feel like one of the most earnest conversations is just, like, Bond and Q. Like, being Bond and Q. <laughs> um, I think that's the biggest problem with the movie. Like, all the villains kind of feel that way, too. Except for Carver. But he always kind of feels like a little bit of cartoon character. Again, I do love it. I do love this movie. I thought it was great. But I think that, like, that's the the whole time I just kept feeling like they they sounded um, like like a video game narrative, a lot of the, like, dialogue in the movie. Yeah, it I was, could like, see that. Some mostly the... to be entertaining or sometimes move the plot forward, but didn't feel like it was organic from the characters a lot of the time. Yeah, actually, so, like, I think what I want to say is that maybe saying this is better than GoldenEye is... Not necessarily true, but I think for me personally, is more entertaining because I think all the elements that do make it entertaining have are cranked up to a certain level. Oh yeah, for sure. That I think make it. It's a better works. action movie, definitely. You know, even though I do think the action elements in GoldenEye are some of the best. They're it's great. Just, I think overall here, I think there's just some. It's just like I I almost watched this movie twice. That's why how much fun I had like watching <laughs> watching it. So. um I'm still split on which one I like better, just so just putting it out there. But I've been like, I've been, tr- I've been trying to figure it out the whole time because, like James Bond, all I, just I, kept wanna, I do want to like, change this narrative though that people mm. constantly say that GoldenEye is the only good Brosnan movie, and then the rest suck. And I think actually it's only Die Another Day sucks, and even then wow. it's got some good stuff in it. But the other three that, and we'll get to World's Not Enough. That's the one with time. the space laser. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that Icarus. movie. I think they're all great. I think yeah, that movie rules. It's so it's trash, load, but I love it. Because it's loaded with gadgets. It's right up your alley. Yeah, uh-huh. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. It's know, got the best car, even though it's the worst car. But even when we get to World's Not Enough, I think there there are some really good things in that one, too. And I think people, I think, I think like that it. might be my favorite Brosnan. Yeah. Because of the character stuff in that one. There's some great yeah. performances there. Minus Denise Richards. <laughs> Maybe Brosnan, the, the Brosnan era might end up being my favorite. I know. I mean, there's some good stuff here. I think so, we could rehash that once we get through yeah. Die Another Day. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have some holes from World's Not Enough and Die Another Day. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. Anyways, let's power through the rest of this movie. Um, yeah, let's do it. M- motorcycle chase. I think this is a great motorcycle chase. Totally agree. Uh, I think it's constructed well. I, just the fact that they're handcuffed together and they have to like work out how they're going to steer the bike and just... The, the going through all these sets it's like i think it's great i think this is like one of the best motorcycle chases i've seen uh, the one thing that threw me off or like i once again not a helicopter pilot but and it's really cool and intimidating to see it a helicopter when he tipped his thing down and it's like i'm just gonna murder people for... <laughs> yeah it's crazy and it's awesome but at the same time as a helicopter pilot like that is so awful like anything could go wrong i could hit a brick i feel or, like or those propellers aren't as like sturdy as people think and i think like even like hitting wood might mm-hmm. break them like if i was a pilot i'd be like yo this is hella dangerous but i'm gonna look baller as fuck doing it so let's go <laughs> but it's like 
listen, I'm broke. I need this job. I will do whatever <laughs> Carver says. And if he says kill Bond at any any means necessary, fine. I will tip this helicopter down <laughs> Gotta into get that an Christmas open marketplace bonus. trying to kill them. Intimidating. He does it twice. He, tr- he tries to pull that move mm-hmm. twice in a row. Yep. I was crazy. into it, personally. Yeah, no, it's I great. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then I do like when at the end, when the helicopter blows up, the last like scene you see is like four clear dummies. mannequins <laughs> in the helicopter. They give too much time to those dummy shots. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's only a brief second, but it's too much. Mm-hmm. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you are about to die. Your body freezes in a way that like plastic. you become a mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> like people this is what people don't tell you yeah this is what happens i mean they captured it they actually it's killed a, those people <laughs> you shed your 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 human chrysalis your right soul you leaving die. your body and yeah. what's left is a mannequin turns out we're made of plastic yeah <laughs> so that's great um yeah and then like you know you get this brief scene of waylon hooks bond up to that pipe after they take a shower together for some reason um you know you get her little secret headquarters you get some of the people from general chang that come to try to get her she you know you you gotta get your like little kung fu sing here Mm -hmm. you know i think because if you're gonna have you know michelle yo and you're gonna have you know some elements of china in here you're gonna you gotta have gotta have some of that some of that stuff it's true even though it is very brief if this movie didn't have that simple kung fu i probably would have felt gypped yeah sure i feel like you need it you know even with michelle you using some kung fu stuff at the end you know and like some mm-hmm. of the action stuff it's like yeah it's good to have like a straight up let's get her and a bunch of stuntmen mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of whacking each other yeah and then the gadget stuff is all great some in this scene she has that random like when that one guy wakes back up after they've been talking for a while and she just hits a button and like what is it like a just a chair flies at him or some sort of like a block (laughs) (laughs) just a perfect setup did you guys get the feeling that there was like this weird like they're going over the mission but it was like a mini cue scene because like he's playing with the gadgets and he doesn't know what they do and so it was yeah it was interesting yeah it was awesome it was qq it was the the chinese q (laughs) it's uh chinese email joke for anyone that gets it if you worked if you if you ever worked anywhere where you had a lot of chinese customers the the chinese email like they're like at gmail is qq oh good to know didn't yeah did not know i don't that. i don't yeah. remember this from my apple days yeah yeah and they get like it's like generated like hex code so it's like letters and numbers at qq like a lot of the time it was never huh. like words <laughs> oh wow yeah but that's because you know like their email system and everything that goes through the state is mm-hmm. sort of like government structured. So uh, at least that's how it was anyway, but deep, deep cut joke for anyone that knows this information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christian is a spy for, you know, working. You know, he, he worked with uh, Wei Lin back in the day. I do want to just say, you're like, well, I don't know why they had to shower together. I, the one, the one thing that I feel like, I will never be like, oh, Bond doesn't need to sleep with the women. If they are other spies, oh, yeah. I think it's fair game. And the reason is, to me, it's just like the Olympics. Like, you get these people that are basically working and, like, pushing their bodies all the time. 
Like they're like highly specialized people. They don't have time for like normal lives. And then they're like in a scenario where they have downtime and they're with another person they're attracted to. They're both like physically fit, sexy people that have their adrenaline up. Yeah, they're going to fuck, man. Of course that's going to happen. Also, I just realized why they shower together, why they take that shower together. It's because they jumped in that pool of water to escape the, the helicopter. Oh. And that's probably filthy as hell. Yeah, and so they're probably like, we need to clean ourselves off. They're probably sweaty too from all the yeah. other stuff they've been doing. But I think probably it's mostly the the, yeah. the diseases that are in that pool, that water. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about that, so uh, let, now we get to the finale. Um, they go out to this bay with a little dinghy boat. They find the stealth boat that Carr has been using to escalate the situation. They sneak on board. They get up. Obviously, put mines on it. They Wayling gets captured. Bond kind of fakes his death with a soldier's body. Uh, overall, I, th- I just I just think this whole sequence is great. I think this like this set is like really cool. Um, the way it's designed, all like the like the way that Bond, how he acts in this whole scene, like his like gun play, as per, per se, like his stunt work is like so cool. Like the way he just kind of like walks around is just like just like he's more like he's shooting for effect versus um actually to kill people or he, like he wants to kill people obviously but like the way when he like is just kind of running underneath like the the balconies and like just shooting upwards and just like i don't know i just think it's, it's just his, some cool stunt work here his style points went up like a thousand percent uh yeah. and i guess I, I understand he's bond and he always doing clever things but like how he uses the body and throws him off the into the water i thought is like another uh him thinking on his feet like how he's using the gadgets in a unique way which you know it was just it was good it was more of what he's been doing this movie yeah no I, yeah i agree uh you know he i'm trying to think what like other things that happened so he captures henry gupta he he puts the grenade in the glass little canister uh carver shoots gupta after it's revealed that he has the missile ready to go this is where we get uh, what i actually so what was really cool about the scene is that they stagger, they cut between the fact that like you don't have Bond just sitting there and receiving the villain's plan. It's Carver's telling the plan to Wei Lin while Bond is like MacGyvering his way in other things. So they, I like how they split it up and they're like, yeah, but no one's just like standing around and receiving information. Like things are happening all like at different times, which is great. Mm-hmm. That's what I really actually I thought was like. When I watched that again, I was like, oh, actually, like, this is cut together really well. And this is kind of staged actually really, really nicely that like we're so used to the villain monologue to Bond. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I get why he's telling Wei Lin this because it's about General Zhang and it's about like what he's going to use the, the cruise missile for to blow up Beijing, basically. Um, and, and, and then you see what Bond's doing and Bond's working during this whole time. Mm hmm. He's like, I'm getting ready to do my little ambush stuff, which is great. So. I agree. I think it worked. Um, and I, yeah, I, I liked that uh, Carter was able to shoot uh, Gupta. I would just it give him a little more of a villainous because yeah, like, like you said, he's a little geeky and we can slap him around. It gives him a little edge of like, okay, he'll, he'll kill his own men. You know, it gives him some credit. Yeah. It's not like, but also like, it's weird that he would do that at the same time when you think about the fact that he's got like, this isn't supposed to be a one-time thing. He's supposed to be like controlling the world for a long time. Like he's (laughs) probably going to need that dude. 
Very short-sighted. This is true. Yeah, you know, but you can, you can never trust those guys. You know, Gupta's going to go always go to the highest bidder. Sometimes, true. You know, That's but true. Um, I think um, just uh, to harken back to when you mentioned the way that like, you know, she was always one step ahead of Bond. I actually, that I thought about during this scene, how like she's now getting this information the way that Bond normally would. Yeah. But Bond and her sort of like him lagging behind actually like gave them an advantage in a way. Because like Carver's always trying to like predict what's going to happen so that he can kind of like put the pieces together. But he kind of couldn't predict the two of them working together and then like, you know, her kind of stepping in, like just the way their, their dynamic works is really the thing that upset Carver. Like, and, yeah. and made well, him the, fail. One, the one thing that really upset Carver was the fact that one of his uh, subordinates was playing a video game and not watching the mo- video monitors. <laughs> <That's fair>. Did, <laughs> <Which> if, <laughs> oh, did you guys notice that guy that he, to me, he looked like Simon Cowell. I don't know if you oh, guys the, got that. Like one of the, what, like those ship command guys, like the, like, the, that one who was like playing the that video was distracted. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He it looked like Simon Cal to me. <laughs> I hope it was. Could have been. <laughs> but I feel like that, that happens more on villain layers. Is that like some of these guys are just bored out of their minds and are playing on their phones and stuff and probably wouldn't pay attention to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because like where like again, one thing I always think about is like how did they fill this building? Like who are these dudes? Who are they? Are they just people that need money like i'm assuming they also they work for carver and and i bet they're just you know it's like they don't care that they're like terrorists now yeah (laughs) or it's like like if 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 people that worked at fox news got really involved with creating the news well just because you know those people too like they're not doing heinous evil stuff like 24 7 like at some point you know like they're sitting there like the people that are like working on those shows they're sitting there and like they're on candy crush and they're not paying attention so like i i kind of appreciate that like you know there's someone that's there that's like oh i don't really care about all this this was just the job that i happened to get i bet most of them are there like i'm here covering this you know escalating war yeah in the sea here it's like i actually wasn't here i don't know what actually why i'm doing here but yeah you know, yeah, to them, most of these guys, it's just the job, you know. Probably just like in well. Avengers, when there's someone that's playing, yeah. like, uh, Space Invaders yeah, Tony, or something. Tony calls it out, yeah. 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 It, it, that's what it reminds me of. Um, the only other, like, one thing I just wanted to point out was, and it's, like, the weakest part of the movie, is when Carver, like, mocks Waylon and her, like, karate mo- or her kung fu moves. Yeah. And I was like, this is probably the weakest part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, don't need it. <laughs> but then... I, I don't know, quickly goes uh, from a worse part to a greater part where Bond kills Carter with the saw. And I think that's up there for one of the better Bond deaths. So that saw good. is pretty yeah. great and it isn't used again until now. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I like it. Um, it's great. The line where he's like, you know what they say? Give the people what they want. I don't know if that what that means, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Are, is reminds the people me again of license to kill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, with the, the the saw stuff, yeah. Yeah, but also like he had a, a specific thing against this man because he actually had a fling with his former wife, yep. who now he killed. Like just mm-hmm. like in License to Kill, like when he like you know burns him alive, you know, <laughs> and also like the other guy gets thrown into the factory machinery. Like it's very, it's very much a combination of those things. Yeah, no, it's like he gets a, it's a little personal for Bond in this in this sense. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like he doesn't just want to capture. Carver, he's like, I don't mind killing you. Which is which is why it's unfortunate that she just seems like 
this like uh, she seemed like this elitist person and not someone that like had real chemistry with bond because you would have i think you have to almost remember that fact during that scene (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and like i actually would have preferred if instead of saying that quippy line he said like this one was for her or something yeah yeah like from paris with love yeah there you go yeah that could have been the name of the movie too paris joke you know quip line yeah ah you know but it is what it is um you know, and like most Bond movies, the main the main villain is defeated, and there's always a henchman that remains uh, with Stampa. Uh, I, I I this all this stuff is great. I love when like the ship is like getting destroyed, and like the lighting's all cool, and the fire, and he you know Stampa's just like hulking out for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets stabbed in the bicep and in the chest. I thought it was so creative how Bond he traps him in, in with the rocket. And then he's about to he's trying to fall off into the water and and Stompa's like, no, we're going to die together. And he's like, I got to get out of this vest. And he's like, oh, thanks. I'll pull the <laughs> knife out of you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Use it to cut them. That's such a great moment. It's just like so subtle, but it's like, oh yeah, let me, let me use one, the equipment that's around me. Let me, yep. thank you. <laughs> Once again, more of him just thinking on his feet uh, yeah. and using the knife. But I thought it was weird in the very beginning of this, how like, He's on the rocket, getting ready to do his thing. And then all of a sudden, Stampa has Waylon in, like, chains, dangling. It's like, how did how did she not <laughs> scream? How did he not make any sounds? But, yeah, I like the, the scene. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, it, the setup is a little, it's cinematic too much almost. And, like, how did he get there? But it, you almost, like, it happened so fast that you didn't, you, you were like, okay, I accept this as a movie trope, but <laughs> yeah, I did have to rewind it three times. I'm like, wait, how did this happen? Where did this come from? So the I first remember, time, I remember like it was coming up, so I was like trying to think of like how is this staged, and and it is staged in a weird way where like he's suddenly behind where mm-hmm. Bond jumped onto the rocket. So I'm like, I don't know how he got there so quickly to tie her up with chains without Bond <laughs> even seeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but it is like cool that he's racing the clock to both stop the missile stop stampa and then get in the water to like try to save her mm-hmm. um and then I, I, the timing's all cool and like the ship is exploding while they're underwater which is great yeah um, it looks cool the visual element and the fact that like he's kissing her but he's also just trying to save her by pushing oxygen into her mouth it's the way i kiss mm-hmm. you just push oxygen into them <laughs> it's, his, it's his that's why women fall in love with him no one else yeah. does that just gives him a breath of fresh air. Ooh, nice! The breath of life. Um, and then yeah, and then this movie just like just like ends, mm-hmm. just I, boom. It's like ship explodes. We're on the rebel. You get the brief scene with M and Money Penny where it's like, tell the press that Elliot Kava committed suicide on his yacht. <laughs> I did like yeah. that. I liked M writing his obit page, which I thought was just fun and cool. Yeah. But yeah. I thought this was the laziest rescue attempt by the Navy. Bond, are you out there? <laughs> nope. Okay, we tried. <laughs> yeah, like, would you search the rubble? You know, like... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's like a little, like, you know, it is what it is. It, it is what it is. Yeah. And then maybe, they're like, after they do it, they're like, okay, how do now how do we get out of here? Like, <laughs> is that boat going to come back? I don't know, maybe. They're just like taking broken metal and just paddling in silence. Like, yeah. awkward. <laughs> They're using Stampa's body, his singed <laughs> body, to like row themselves back to, oh. to shore. 
But uh, yeah, so that is Tomorrow Never Dies. Any final thoughts on this fun adventure? Um, I'll, I guess I had low expectations from what I remembered in rewatching it. Uh, the story really impressed me because I thought it was so present in today. And uh, I just, I thought there was good elements, but I felt like it was more thrown together than cohesive in my mind. Uh, so yeah, that's my general thoughts. I think the action set pieces and I just, I think the concept of who the villain was felt smaller than everything else that happens in the movie. Like he almost felt like, like mismatched a little bit. Um, just cause he was so cartoony at times. Even though I loved it, like I did love it, but everything else was like kind of serious. Like the action felt real. Like a lot of the villains seem scary. Like because like this is like the most heavily armed they've been. Like it was like a weird kind of like balance between the two. That being said, uh, some of the best like music scoring in the movie in a while. Um, some of the best gadgets. All the characters were like at least interesting. Like there's. You know, you get a little bit of everything in it. Um, but I don't know if if any one particular thing outshines. Like, what do you think was the best thing uh, that this movie does? For me, I think that the reason why I liked it so much, I think it actually is a great entertaining movie and one of the best, one my favorite Brazen so far overall, and I think mm-hmm. of the four, is that it's a combination of modern bond that mixes in what elements that may, has made it great in the past of roger moore which is megalomaniacal campy villain yeah over the top mixed in with modern really creative action set pieces that are different a lot of gadgets i think you know i think maybe the weakest part is like what you said is bond as a character is probably the least of a character and he's more just a he's on a mission and he's not given much as a internally to do as opposed to maybe in gold nine other things um, because it's not as focused on him and his past as a character. But I think overall, like I think it does a lot of things really, really well. And I think it just kind of, for some reason, people just kind of forget about this movie. I think because it's maybe feels like it's too campy at times. I think it's just because I think none of the villains are scary. I think I think yeah. it's almost like they didn't go far enough with they did so many things but they didn't actually go like far enough with a lot of them. Like the main villain, yes, like they definitely that was like the one if they like nailed any character it was like Carver, but the people he's surrounded with like I wish I wish Gupta was like a little bit more like well, yeah, I mean or strange or weird and I or, I think or, Ricky Jay as Henry Gupta is the weakest part because he is not acting. He is sure. just staring straight into whatever cam like near director's face is next to the camera yeah and it's just saying it's lines well that and then like stampa like i don't know like if they i just i think they just needed to do go a little farther with all the characters in some ways um but there's no lull in the movie which is really good like pretty much from beginning to end i'm like pretty much captivated it is incredibly entertaining uh whereas in goldeneye like if we were comparing them I, there are lulls. I feel like Goldeneye for me is higher highs and lower lows, and this is like very consistent. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, like I would agree in terms of there's less hills, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. Some things don't reach as high as what we see yeah. in Goldeneye. No, I mean, I, like if I were to split this, this is definitely in the top Bond movies. Like I thought this was really good. Yeah, and so. I I just want to reemphasize how important, like how great David Arnold is with the score and how he has been with the scores of all these movies since then. Yeah, and how much it how much John Barry's iconic sound has influenced these movies and every time they try to go away from that it feels weaker and it's so much fun to like go back to it yeah and you know oh yeah i'm psyched to check out that song at the end credits now yeah in fact christian you should put it at the end as we go into (laughs) i mean i can there's no content id on podcasts (laughs) just put it in as we are rolling into our uh i think spotify will flag it though who knows? Who cares? I, I think the biggest lesson we learned is we need a bad guy that needs a physical disfigurement to just amp it up a little bit. That's how that's how you push the bad guys. Or I I think I think Stampa's like lack of dialogue because he mm-hmm. either has an incredibly thick accent or they were dubbing him. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's there was just a, it, I wish there was just a little bit more of some stuff. Um, that being said, it was great. All right, the well, Bronson movies have back to back both winners action-packed and we will continue it with 1999's the world is not enough i don't really remember what happens in this movie i only remember a couple plot points but i remember it actually like i remember loving this movie this is the one with like the nuclear sub yep 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 yeah i remember really liking this yeah i think so this one is gonna get it has gotten a lot of obviously flack for denise richards as the bond girl Mm -hmm. um I think besides her, it's actually a really, really good movie. Interesting. I, okay. I like this one. Much Everything, better game than yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies. Which I don't remember playing the Tomorrow Never Dies game. It's a third it's... person game and it's only on PlayStation. Yeah. It's not Ugh. it's it's a it's a totally different type of game. It's it's third person. It's weird. Well, we will get into talking about the game as well as the movie on our next episode. So everyone tune in. Uh make sure you check out Murph's movie trivia with what Ryan's doing and you know listen to us and uh, we'll see you all next time